I can be a jumpy person, meaning that um, it is not terribly hard to scare me, like, at all. Um, in fact, Abby scares me all the time. Did, I can tell if it works or not. Did it, it should just, yeah, it works now. You're good. Um, but yeah, Abby scares me all the time, which you might not think Abby is the type of person to jump out and scare someone, and you're right, because she never means to. That's the weird thing, is that it'll be, it's usually at night after the kids are in bed, and I'll be in one room, and she'll just walk in and start talking to me, and I don't know if it's because I'm not used to quiet, because the kids are always loud, but she'll just walk in, and she's like, hey, and I'm like, oh, and it just like, I don't know why. I've got my own little world, and I jump every time, and so she never means to scare me, but she does it at least once or twice a week. And now my kids have caught on to that, especially Jude, and he will, uh, a lot of times when I am coming home uh, from work, he'll see me walk past the window, and he'll crouch by the front door and jump out to scare me. And the thing that's so irritating is most of the time I know he's there, um, because he's not the quietest kid. He gets, he kind of stomps his way excitedly to the front there. And so I know he's there, and then he'll jump out and, ma. and it still scares me. It still makes me jump. It's so incredibly frustrating. And, uh, you know, I think that says probably something about how my brain works, about, uh, you know, how my, my brain receives and processes things that are, that are a little bit out of the norm, because most of the time I walk in my front door, I just walk in my front door and no one screams at me. So, I mean, that, when he does do it, it is definitely out of the norm, and so I'm just not the best at handling that stuff, and it's almost as if I get this mental picture of how things are supposed to be. This mental picture of how I think things are going to play out, how I assume a situation is going to be. And when the unexpected happens, it catches me completely off guard. And you might think, well, that's the point of something being unexpected, is that you don't expect it. But even with that, some people have a greater level of just situational awareness, and some people have a greater level of flexibility, to win, so that when something unexpected happens, they're much better to, to roll with it than others are. I mean, I know some people, you can jump out any time of the day, and they'll never flinch, just never flinch. In fact, Abby, I came across a series of videos last night that somebody put on TikTok, of all places, of, it's this lady who realized that her husband is good at catching things when, like, a cup falls off a table or your kids go to spill something, and so she's just started randomly throwing things at him when he walks around a corner, and he always catches it. And it's a, it was amazing. I don't know how many of these videos. She's posted like 20 of them. And she'd, he'd walk around the corner, and she'd throw like a, a huge pack of toilet paper, and he'd get it. Or she'd throw like one sippy cup, and he'd, boop, 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 and he'd catch it behind his back. It was nuts. And like if Abby threw something at me when I came around the corner, it would just hit me in the face before I even reacted to it. And so some people are just better at handling the unexpected when it comes. Now, there's tons of ways the unexpected can happen in our lives, right? Um, it can be good or bad. Um, for instance, you know, like this whole year, like most of us were probably like December 31st, oh, 2020, it's going to be awesome. It sounds so futuristic. What a, what a cool year this is probably going to be, <laughs> right? It did not go well for us. And so, you know, we get here and we think, oh, well, that didn't work out like we expected. But sometimes there's good unexpected, where you have these opportunities happen in your life that you did not see coming, that if you're willing and ready to kind of make the most of that unexpected turn, it can be a really great thing for you. And in fact, for those of us who are Christians, I think most of the times that God shows up in our lives, it's going to be in those unexpected ways. Um, if you look in Scripture, that's what happens a lot. A lot of times God shows up, and, and the people that are in those situations that he's working in, 
they didn't know that he was going to show up when he did or how he did. Um, case in point is, <clears throat> is when Jesus came. You see, at that point in history, in Israel, um, they had been waiting for a Savior. They had kind of figured out the Old Testament had promised a Savior. And they were waiting for the Savior for hundreds of years. But they were wanting a Savior that was going to come and do what they wanted a Savior to do. You see, Israel had fallen from glory at the, around the first century when Jesus showed up. They used to be this big, powerful, independent, wealthy nation under great kings like David and Solomon. And then by the time Jesus rolls around, they were nothing more than some like backwater territory of the Roman Empire that nobody really cared about. And they were wanting a savior to come in and be this mighty person who had some military might and some uh, political prowess who would help them become an independent, powerful nation of God's people again. But Jesus didn't come conquering. He didn't come in power and might the way they were expecting. He came in meekness, not to conquer, but to serve. And because of that, because God worked in an unexpected way, a lot of people were so set on the Savior they wanted that they missed the Savior that they got. And I don't want to be someone in my life who is so laser-focused on life going my way or working out in a way that I think it should that I miss God when he shows up. I don't want that for me, and I don't want that for you. Because God wants to do amazing things, not just in our lives, but through us. Meaning he wants to use you and me to do great things, to, to help reach people and serve people. And if we aren't open for those moments that he's going to work in our lives, we're going to miss a whole, whole lot. Now, a few years ago, I heard a, a story um, by a guy named Francis Chan. Uh, he's a minister. I don't know what he's doing right now because about every 10 years he changes gears. But at the time he was a minister and he was supposed to speak at a conference. And so the deal was he was going to fly out really early in the morning to this conference, speak, and then get on a plane and come back home at the end of the day. And so he gets up super early, gets on this plane, and he's sitting there, and he sits next to this lady, and he said he just felt, the second she sat down, that he felt this just kind of tugging in his heart that he was supposed to talk to this woman, and that he was supposed to have a significant conversation with her about Christ. And he thought, but it's so early, and there's no way she's in the mood for this. I'm not awake enough for this. I don't want to be that weird guy on the plane that she's stuck next to and thinks, oh, great, I've got this guy for the next few hours. And so he just didn't say anything beyond like, hi, nice to meet you, that kind of stuff. And so he gets off the plane, goes to, does the conference, end of the day, comes back to the airport, gets on his plane. He's sitting in his seat, watching everybody else board, waiting for takeoff. And he's just kind of looking around, and he notices the very same lady comes on the plane, which is wild. Like, I don't fly a lot, but I know the chances of two people being on the same flight at two different times is kind of ridiculous. And he watches her, and she's got her ticket, her boarding pass, and she's looking at the seat numbers, and she works her way back, and she ends up sitting right next to him again. Which again, that is a, the odds of that are so ridiculously small, it's hilarious. And so they start like giggling and oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. And they're kind of making a big deal about it. And other people around them kind of catch on to what's happening. And they're like, oh, you should get married. And they're like, that's not what this is. And so he, he, he kind of says, okay, God, I got it. I, I understand what you're wanting me to do. I'm sorry I disobeyed you the first time, but the message is clear. You want me to say something to this lady, and I didn't, and you've graciously given, given me and her a second chance. And so 
he opens the door saying, hey, you know how weird this is, but I think there's a reason for it. And he had the chance, an open door, an opportunity that he did not expect to share the gospel with this woman. And today I want us to talk about, uh, look at a story um, where God does some crazy things and he opens some doors and opens some people to the gospel. And he works with these two guys who were simply in a place where they were willing to be used by God. Now, our story is going to begin in Acts chapter 16. Excuse me, Acts chapter 16. And we were in Acts 16 last, night, last, time, last week, and we're still following the story of this guy named Paul. Uh, Paul was a traveling church planter. He went all over the Roman Empire planting churches. And in this story, he's in the city of Philippi. And it's a, it was a Roman city. It's not there anymore, but the ruins are. You can go visit. So it's a real place. And so he was in this city, and he had been for a while, and he's been teaching about Jesus. It's been going really well. People are getting baptized, getting saved. It's going okay. And then um, the story, though, it takes place in kind of two sections, and I want to talk about the second one. So the real short Cliff Notes version of the first part is that Paul does something that uh, some people don't like, and they get the uh, Roman uh, authorities involved, and Paul and one of his traveling companions, a guy named Silas, get arrested. So they don't just get in like a little bit of trouble, they're in big trouble, and they get arrested and punished. And so that's where we're going to pick up in uh, Acts chapter 16, we'll start in verse 23. It says, and when they had inflicted many blows, these are the Roman authorities, when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them in the inner, into the inner prison and fastened their feet into the stocks. So they get beaten, and they get beaten probably a lot. And we learn in a, a previous verse that they get beaten with these rods. Um, this would have been like getting beaten with a, like a, a flexible dowel rod or like a fishing pole. And for this kind of a situation, the Romans didn't really have a limit. Like, it wasn't like, okay, the max you can do is 20 swats and then you're done. They could just beat until they thought you'd had enough or until their arm got tired. They just could do whatever they wanted. And so Paul and Silas get beaten, and they were probably stripped naked for this. And so their backs, maybe even down the backs of their legs, would have been raw. Maybe their skin would have split open. They would have been bleeding. They would have been incredibly miserable and sore. And then they get thrown into this inner room of a prison, which would have been this dark stone or concrete room. And it would have been musty and either too hot or too cold, depending on the weather. It would have been gross. It would have, there's no, nothing padded, like no comfy seats, no, no restroom facilities in this room where they kept all these prisoners. It would have been disgusting and gross and a place where one's disgusting open wounds would easily get more infected and, and sore. And so uh, this is kind of the situation where they find themselves. And, you know, you think like, okay, if God's going to show up in this moment, the way he's probably going to show up, our assumption is he's going to turn things around. He's going to show up and maybe like heal their wounds and set them free so that they can just go about their merry way and not be in trouble anymore. Because when we are looking at moments, or when we think about God showing up in our lives, we think about God showing up to fix the things that are wrong for us. Fix the things that we find bad, unpleasurable, or just wrong, painful, whatever. We want God to show up and fix our lives. But that's not how God's going to show up here. But even in a season of pain, you would think that that would be more true. Because when you're in pain, what do you think about? I think, you think, ow, this hurts. Ow, I'm miserable. 
ow, I wish God would fix this. Ow, I, want, I need God to show up and, and take care of all what, what's going wrong in my life. And so the more pain we tend to be in, the more selfish we tend to become. And so that's kind of what happens when we're in pain, and yet that's where they are. The more pain you're in, the more selfish you become. And so we kind of would think, well, hey, God's just going to show up and fix all that because these are, I mean, Paul's a big character in the Bible, so surely he's going to just take care of Paul like that, right? Um, because I know that that's what happens when I'm in pain. I think of me. Uh, earlier this week, I had a, a crown put on, and you know, when you have a crown appointment, a lot of times you go for the first one, and they give you a bunch of shots, and, and then they put a temporary on, and then you got to go back, and they pop that temporary off, but they got to numb you again, usually. Well, the first time I went, the shots didn't work, so they start drilling, and I was like, oh, no, thank you, and so they gave me more shots, and those hurt more than the first set of shots, which they shouldn't have because I was already kind of numb, right? And so, like, I get done with that, and, like, for a week, I was like, oh, this really hurts. It's really sore. And so I go back for the second appointment, like, two and a half weeks later. This was earlier this week. And she goes to put that shot in, and I, I didn't think I was still sore, but I was really still sore the second that shot went in. And I was, I was so clenched up. I mean, my heart was pounding, and when she got done, I was like, Abby, my hands are trembling. I've never had a shot hurt that bad. Um, and, and so I get, I get done, and then, again, for a few days, my jaw's really sore, right? Okay, that whole situation, on the scale of things that can hurt, that's really small. Like, that's really minor, and yet I was able to milk it for, like, the entire two weeks and talk about it and whine about it, and I just did it again. And, and like, that's what you do when you're in pain. That's what you think about. Oh, I hurt. I wish something would take this away. Oh, this is poor me. And you, we tend to like kind of just go within ourselves. And, and yet in this moment, when Paul and Silas are sitting in this cold, dark, nasty prison, you think that they would be thinking about themselves or having this pity party or crying and why isn't God here? When is he going to get us out? But that's not at all the perspective that they have. And so let's keep going in verse 25. This is about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So it's, it's midnight, it's very late, I'm sure they couldn't sleep because they were in pain, you can't lay down on it because it hurts, you can't lean against the wall because it hurts, they were in stocks, like their feet were trapped so they couldn't just like lay on their bellies, they, they, they're miserable, but they're not whining about it, they're not crying about it, they're not cursing God, what are they doing? They're singing and they're praying. They're, they're showing that even in this dark, miserable, painful moment, they still have complete and total trust in God, which is something that is, I think, getting more and more rare as we become more and more me-focused, self-focused. They're, in that moment, they were saying that their focus wasn't on their pain, but still on the God who is going to lead them through and even work in their pain. And in the very next verse, God is going to show up in some obvious and big way, but right here, we already learn a ton about what it takes to be ready to receive an opportunity, an unexpected opportunity, when God drops it into our laps. You see, Paul and Silas never once lost sight of the fact that they were servants of God, that, that they existed to serve God. You see, one thing that's really easy for, uh, to happen in our minds is that gets sw- switched backwards, and we think that God exists to serve us. That's why we say, God, why aren't you fixing my pain? God, why aren't you making things better? God, where are you? God, my life's supposed to be good, and you're supposed to make it good. God, I, I do these things for you. I read my Bible. I prayed. I came to church even. And yet, 
you didn't fix my, my problem. God, why haven't you done this? And we start to think that God exists to serve us. But Paul and Silas never lost sight of the truth, which is that we exist to serve God. And so they never lost sight of that reality. They weren't focused on their pain, how poorly life was treating them or throwing a pity party. They were just looking to God even in the miserable moment. So that when God showed up, they were already looking at him, already looking for him in that moment. And so when God shows up, they are absolutely in the right mental and spiritual space to, to follow where he's going to lead them. And that's where he, and he definitely does give them some pretty obvious signs where he's trying to lead them. Verse 26 says, And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the door, prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now, in that culture, the way things were set up is if you were the, the head honcho at a jail, you were given the full responsibility of making sure that the prisoners stayed in the prison until it was time for them to receive their punishment. If you lost one of the prisoners, the jailer would often receive the punishment that they were supposed to receive. So he sees the doors wide open and thinks, oh boy, I lost a lot of people. This isn't going to go well for me. And so the more honorable thing to do in Roman culture was to kill himself rather than face the humiliation that was going to come after that. And I don't know how Paul knew that this guy was getting ready to do this. Maybe he heard the shing of the sword being pulled uh, from its sheath or what. I don't know. But Paul realizes what this guy is going to do, and he reaches out and kind of saves the guy's life in verse 28. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So in this moment, this jailer, he realizes that there is some higher power at work here. Because, one, you've got these two crazy guys in jail who are, you know, singing and praying out loud. That's not the normal prison sounds. You would hear crying and weeping and moaning and groaning. But he hears singing and he thinks, these two guys are nuts. He knows that they got arrested essentially for believing something that's different than everybody else believed. Um, then there's this crazy earthquake that mysteriously unlocks everyone's chains, which is a little too convenient. Um, and then the fact that nobody ran away when they had the chance to. Why would they not run away in that moment? And so he's like, something is going on. There is a higher power at work here that's higher and stronger and better than anything I've ever worshipped in my life. And I think these guys, two guys might know a little bit more about it than me. And so he rushes in and he falls at, his feet, at their feet and he says, what do I have to do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And um, you can read the rest of the story for yourselves. I would encourage you maybe to do that later today. Um, but basically what's going to happen is the jailer takes them out and gets his entire household together, and Paul and Silas, in that moment where they were miserable and in pain, they preach Jesus to these people. They tell them all about the amazing salvation of Jesus, and this, this guy and his entire house believe, get baptized, and become followers of Jesus. It's this amazing story that starts out so miserable, and God turns it around so quickly, but he doesn't turn it around the way we would naturally think. Oh, they got hurt. They got, they're miserable. Surely God will take his 
very devoted followers and take them out of their misery, but that's not quite what he does. He instead uses their painful situation to, to allow the gospel to be preached to a guy and a group of people who never would have come to hear it on their own. It's an amazing, amazing story. But when God shows up, amazing things, can, amazing things can happen, even against all odds. And that's what enabled Paul and Silas to make the most of the situation, is that they were never distracted from the fact that I'm here to serve God every time he opens a door. That's why I exist. Every time God puts an opportunity in front of me, my job is to walk that road that he's put before me. And that's something that if you're a Christian, you need to realize, I need to realize, that we are servants of God, and we need to realize that and remind ourselves of that every single day. We wake up, I'm here to serve God today. You go to school, I'm, I'm here to serve God at school. You go to work, I'm here to serve God at work. You go to the store, I'm here to serve God for whatever opportunity he gives me. Whatever moment you find yourself in, we have to be ready to serve God as his followers. In fact, um, Paul would later write a letter to a church in Rome, and he would actually say that Christians are slaves of Christ. That we aren't here to live according to whatever we want to do, our own desire to make ourselves happy. But we are here as Christians. We are meant to live our lives for whatever God puts in front of us. Whatever road and calling Jesus gives to us. And so we are first and foremost his servants, not people who are meant to just spend our whole lives serving our whims. What kind of car do I want? What kind of house? What kind of countertops? You know, what's going to be fun for this Friday night? Where do I want to eat? Uh, you know, there's so many things where you're just thinking about us. What kind of career? What's success for me? What kind of bank account status do I want? What kind of financial life do I want? There's so many ways we can think about us. And those things aren't necessarily bad. But primarily, the thing that we've got to keep our eyes on is that we are servants of Christ. And the problem, though, is that we just spend so much time thinking about ourselves. Right? I'm not the only one who feels selfish sometimes, who realizes in certain moments that, man, I spend a whole lot of time thinking about me. What's going to happen with my comfort, my success? And, you know, we make life about where do we want to go and what do we want to do and what's going to be fun for me in any given moment. And this self-focused perspective is what takes our eyes off God and puts them on ourselves. This self-focused perspective is what is going to cause us to miss the opportunities to serve and help and care and maybe even share the gospel with people in those moments that God gives us. But instead, we must realize that every moment we are people ready to serve God. We must be ready for those divine appointments that maybe we didn't have in our calendars, but God has them in our calendars. Those, those interruptions to our normal lives where God presents us with these opportunities to share the gospel or to model the love of Christ for someone. And I call them interruptions on purpose because they are oftentimes going to feel like interruptions. I mean, look at Francis Chan's story. Like, he's on an airplane. He's thinking it's probably super early in the morning. Maybe the sun's not even up yet. Maybe he just wanted to spend that few hours on the plane with his eyes closed, and yet God had a different plan for him right? It's, it, that was an interruption to what he wanted to do. And most of the time, these are going to be interruptions because they're not going to happen here in a church building. I mean, where did God show up for Paul and Silas? In jail. You know when they got arrested? When they were on their way to the, the gathering to preach about Jesus. But God didn't lead them there. God led them to a jail where they could tell a criminal or a guy who keeps criminals in check about Jesus. It's just a crazy, crazy interruption of a story. And so these interruptions are going to come 
at work in a break room, when you're hanging out with friends, when you're talking with your family about, boy, church is just different right now in this weird season that we're in, and they ask a question about your faith, and a door gets opened for you to do that. And maybe you find the idea of being used by God a little scary. He's like, oh, not me. Oh, not me. I can't do this, you know. The thing a lot of people think is, oh, I'm not the preacher, I'm not an elder at church or something. The thing about being a preacher or an elder at the church is we feel no more qualified to be used by God than anyone else. We find it just as intimidating at moments when, you know, God throws us into situations. People say, Anthony, how do you go to, like, hospice situations and funerals and all these, you know, really heavy moments? And it's like, I don't know. I didn't, like, there's no class at Bible college. Nobody prepared me for what to say at a funeral. I just, you just kind of, you go in willing and hoping that God can use you. And then over time, I learned a few things. I had to stick my foot in my mouth a few times to learn what not to say and what not to do. But, but you learn through the willingness. And God, my thought is, if God's going to put you in a situation, it's because he either wants to use you in that situation or grow you through that situation. So we don't need to enter into things, those, those opportunities with fear. Oh, no, what's going to happen here? What if I say something dumb? Maybe it's just God wants you to say something dumb, or he knows you're going to say something dumb. And he's going to grow you through it so that you're prepared for the next time. And I just believe that when God opens these doors, it's for a reason. And we don't need to fear that. We just need to trust him and go where he leads. Because the thing about God's, those opportunities, is that God is going to work through willing people. God is going to work through willing people. I mean, if we're not willing, I mean, we're, we're going to miss out on a lot of opportunities. We can say no to a lot of things that God is trying to do for us. In fact, I had a moment... Uh, years ago, that I still think about quite often, where I realize now that God had very clearly given me an opportunity to talk about Jesus, and I totally missed it, totally botched it. I had gone one day uh, to Panera in Springfield, and it was kind of like this outside. It was cold and, and you know, a little dreary, and, and I just, it was middle of the week, and I just needed to change the scenery, so I was like, I'm going to drive into Panera. I knew they had a fireplace in the middle of there, middle of, of there, and I had a big um, cushy leather chair. I thought, I'm going to go. I'm going to sit in front of the fireplace on this cold day. I'm going to drink some coffee, maybe get a bagel. I don't know. Maybe, uh, and then I'm going to work on my sermon. And so I was just sitting there expecting a nice, quiet, relaxing afternoon. And after I sit down, this guy strikes up a conversation with me. I can still see where he was sitting even. He strikes up this conversation with not just me, with a few people, and just kind of chatting, just very outgoing guy. Um, and eventually he gets to the question, what do you do for a living? I'm a minister. Really? People are always surprised by that. Really? You're a minister? Okay. And then he says, I don't remember how he got here to this comment, but I remember it plain as day. He says, I don't go to church because I've never sinned. And now what I learned was, in Scripture, the only person who ever walked the face of the earth who never sinned was Jesus. So either I was talking to Jesus or I had a perfect, wide-open opportunity to explain to him the reality of human sin and his need for a Savior. Wide-open door. I mean, ball, ball on the tee. I mean, just right there for me to do that. But I had my idea of what I wanted my day to look like. I wanted a nice, relaxing day to sit and work on something that I was going to work on, check a few things off the to-do list, sip some coffee. And so as he talked, and I'll just be honest, he was a little bit, a little bit, of, of a goofy character, and, and as he talked, I kind of started shortening my responses to, uh-huh, sure, yep, mm-hmm, you know, so that you can kind of steer the conversation towards death when you want to end that, you know, and I just did that, and I went back to my planned day, 
And as I, I look back on that, and I almost realized, like the, like, the second I left there, I realized what a huge opportunity I just missed. What a bonehead move I just made. Here, God opened a door wide open for me, and I just chose not to walk through it because I didn't want to be interrupted. And I wonder how many other moments in my life have been that way, but because I was thinking I've got my own things, I've got my own idea, that I, I just, one, ignored God or just totally missed Him altogether because I wasn't willing to be used by Him. Because I was looking forward to my kind of day. So what would God have done in that moment if I was willing? What would God do in your life if you are willing simply to be interrupted? We have to see ourselves. We have got to see ourselves as servants of God in every moment, every single day, every moment of every single day. We've got to be servants who are ready and willing to share Jesus with anyone that he's leading us to. Because God works through willing people. God works through willing people. The only question you have to ask is, am I willing? Because if not, I think you're going to miss out on a lot of fun. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for these divine appointments that you give us, these divine interruptions. And we are so grateful that you would choose to to interrupt our small, selfish plans with your grand, grand divine plans so that we might do things that we would never choose to do. We might find ourselves in situations that we would never pick for ourselves, situations where where you're going to lead us to be a servant. You're going to lead us to to maybe share the gospel, to maybe explain to someone the goodness of of salvation that comes through Christ. And you're going to give us amazing opportunities if we can just be people who are willing, people who are open, people who are ready and, and and able to let go of our ideas and our plans and our wants and, to be, and who are willing to just be used, even in moments of pain. I pray that you can help, help us keep from becoming self-focused, no matter what's going on in our life, in good days and bad days. Help us to, to not be selfish to the point where we are, 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 are only thinking about us and can't get out of our own heads to consider what you have for us. I know that you're going to lead us to that you want to lead us beyond our comfort zones. You want to use us in ways many of us never anticipated. You want to do amazing things through us that most of us would never choose. And, and, and your way's better. For us to have a, a life of purpose and meaning is so much better than us to have a life of selfishness, a life that is only focused on our own wants. And so, Father, please give us eyes to see beyond ourselves and eyes to recognize when you, you drop these interruptions in our life. And let us in those moments not be filled with fear, but with an anticipation and an excitement for what you're going to do in that moment. Either grow us or use us or both. We're excited for ways that you can work. And we have so many reasons to trust you and so many good examples in Scripture of how you can be trusted and what can happen when we're willing. And I just pray, Father, that as we wake up each day that we would keep our eyes on Christ and the mission that you've given us through him. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.